a deep sense of awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things, someone say all things, in common and sold their possessions, now I'm losing you, and their goods and divided them among all as anyone had what? Need. As anyone had what? need. So communing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So they continued what? Weekly? Monthly? Uh, twice a year? No, how much? Daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and Bishop Jakes added to the church. And let's see, no, John Hagee added to the church. And Karen Wheaton added to the church. And Rhonda Davis added to the church. And Bryce Harper, no, who does it say? Who does it say? And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, Lana and Christine informed me on the way to church. I see they've already departed from me, having loved the present world. But they told me on the way to church, if our eyes get big and our heads start to bobble, that means you've gone too long. You need to stop. So before heads start to bob and eyes get wide, we're going to stick right to it. Lift one hand to the heaven. Father, we thank you for your word. We come to the word. We come to the living Lord Jesus. Lord, we sequester our minds. We rope in our thoughts. No one's going to do it for us. No one's going to tell our mind to listen to the word of God. Only us. So right now we train and discipline our mind to listen to the word. We come to hear and receive. No one came to you, Jesus, and left the way they entered your presence. Everyone left change. Now when we come to the word, Lord Jesus, we come to you. So by faith, we come expecting to be changed. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Based on a true story. Many times you go to a movie and at the end the credits begin to roll and at the end of the credits there's sometime a statement that says based on a true story recently one of those movies that a lot of us saw was the blind side and the blind side was based on a true story it said based on a true story typically means that the screenplay story was based on a true story but it wasn't exciting enough it wasn't magnetic enough it wasn't awesome enough that the writers had to put some things in there to make the story a little bit more exciting. So the family of the blind side watched the movie and think that's based on a true story, but they've juiced it up a little bit more. They've added up a little bit more. They've, they've geared this up a little bit more so it will sell at the Hollywood Cinemax. You see, I wonder this morning how many of our lives are based on a true story, but people are people when they look at us have to juice it up, have to add to it. You see, what I just read in the book of Acts is a true story. You see, when I read that, no one had to juice it up. No one had to add to it. No one had to make it look differently. It is what it is, just like it is. And when I read this portion of scripture, when I read it, I don't read it and think, oh my goodness, that looks just like us. I mean, when I read this, every word made me think about us as a church. And I'm not just talking 
to Church of the Harvest. I'm speaking about the church in America because you see America is living the American dream and the American dream is that we can cross any boundaries, that we can with our skill, with the right education, with the right opportunity, that we can do anything we want to do. That's the American dream. But the kingdom dream is the dream that you and I need to be living because the American dream was founded in 1931. The man's name is somewhere in there, but I'm just trying to cut straight to where we want to go and, and get our word done this morning. But he said, we can do anything we want because we will make ourselves known for who we are. But the kingdom dream, someone say the kingdom dream, the kingdom dream is the opposite of that. You see, when you read this passage, awe came upon every soul. There were signs and wonders and people were amazed. People were used like the Galileans who were unschooled and uneducated and were considered the lower class of the ectalon of the community. You see, in the kingdom dream, it means to live, you've got to die. In the kingdom dream, it means that my life lives for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to give God glory and God alone. Somebody give God a shout of praise to give him glory. It means that I might be happy, but happiness is not the goal of the kingdom dream. It means that I will have joy, but joy is not the fulfillment of the kingdom dream. It means that I will get married and have a hunk, a hunk of burning love for my partner, my lover, and my friend, but the number one reason I will marry him is that my marriage will give God glory and God alone. You see, we get it all reversed. We're based on a true story, but we don't look into our lives. We don't look into our actions. We don't look into our faith. We don't look into yesterday and say, my goodness, I look just like these people who lived for the glory of God. You see, when it says that they were all amazed with Jesus, that work in the Greek is thimbos, and that means unmovable. It means that people were so in awe of Jesus, they were unmovable. They didn't know how to move away. But in the American dream, we are a most movable people. If your boss makes you mad, you're going to move away. If your spouse makes you mad, you're going to think about moving away. If your children, oh come on somebody, make you mad, you're going to move away. But these people understood that they were not based on a true story, but they were the story. I wonder if at the end of the road, when we stand before Christ, you see eternity is that governor of everything you and I do. Eternity governs every decision we make. Eternity should govern every way we live our life. I am not to live my life so that I can live this happy American dream. I am not to live this life so that I can obtain this 
and obtain that and I can get in my favorite TV shows and I can do what I want to do when I want to do and I can have a happy world. My life according to scripture that I'll show you in a minute in this very short message is to glorify God and God alone and his son Christ. Somebody give the Lord praise for that this morning. You know, it's amazing the number one thing that according to, I didn't even have to know this to read on CNN, the number one things that our young people are really obsessed with is these people that have big fang teeth. What are they called? Vampires. And it wasn't enough that Twilight New Moon and all the sagas came out and Team Edward and Team Jacob and Team Donnie. You know, I'm just going to go with Team Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's where I'm going to go with and I'm going to take because he could suck the blood out of any vampire that ever walked. Oh, you're going to get me mad now. But it's amazing, the obsession. You see, the people that I'm to look like, I believe the obsession is, let me change, let me tell you why I said that. I believe the obsession is because Ezekiel said that the life is in the blood. Someone say the life is in the blood. And recently when um, I was doing a uh, TBN with Perry that you saw, we got to talking about the supernatural and something came to me in that discourse, in that conversation when he, uh, somehow we flipped over to supernatural and I said I really believe that God is using this because it wasn't enough that a Mormon mommy got a dream. Oh, I wonder who gave her that dream. That she got a dream about vampires and wrote books and then the dreams kept coming and she started writing bestsellers. I believe God wanted to bless her life so much that he gave her dreams about vampires and so then he could bless her everyone that believes that just give God a shout no you don't believe it do you well look at your neighbor young people look at each other and breathe this this sermon is not against twilight but I do believe that the obsession with the supernatural God is going to use for his glory and his glory alone there was a time when our fathers in the faith young people you love me just smile at me real big because you know you love me you love me there's a time when our fathers in the faith believed so strongly in the supernatural some of you have never heard your grandparents plead the blood over you. I don't know if some of you have never done that. You see, because the people that were in this passage, the people that preceded us believed that if you applied the bloodline to your property, that the devil couldn't cross it. You see, they believed that the blood was from Calvary. They believed if they applied the blood, that's why every night of my life, I apply the blood to the, the property around me, around the four corners. I ask for the angels to encamp around me. Well, that's silly. That's ritualistic. Call it whatever you want, but you will not stop me from doing it every night. Label it as a religion. Say you don't need to do all of that. That's fine for you. As for me and my house, I'm going to live like the people at the Passover who walked out with faith and put blood. Now listen to me. Put blood on the doorpost of their home because God said in the middle of the night, the death angel is coming and he's going to steal your first firstborn child. He's going to rob Egypt of every firstborn child. But for every believer that puts the blood on their doorpost, my death angel will pass over you. Now listen, it was easy for them, but we've got to be a people that look like these people where so many will not say they're living a life that is based on a true story, but they're not living out the faith and the life that these people have. I'm going to tell you, they're still 
still power in the blood. There's still power in prayer. There's still power in what God can do. But as we've been learning on Wednesday night, we are this convenient American dream society. We're not like our brothers in Nigeria or Kenya. We're not like the Asian church that worshiped underground today. We're not like them that don't have doctors and medicine in their cabinet. So they don't have anything else to do but to believe in the faith of God. But we in the American dream have lifted ourselves up to believe that within our talent, within our ability, within our multiple resources, in fact, when they go to build churches now, they fill churches with resources and finances and talented and gifted people and all kind of big, um, I can't think, architectural, majestic places. But I'm going to tell you, God in his power to make his name glorious will do what he did with these Galileans and take the least of these and take someone that has little resources, but the power of the spirit abides in them. If you want to be a candidate for that, give God a shout on this hot Sunday morning. It's funny because my great-grandfather, I've told you, um, I'm a preacher's daughter. My mom is a preacher's daughter. Her mom is a preacher's daughter. Her mom was a preacher's daughter. And her mom was a preacher's daughter. As far back as anyone can trace our roots, no one planned it. It just happened. And my great-granddaddy was a man of faith. So when he cut off his toe mowing the lawn, he reached down. The toe was off. He put the toe next to the other part of the toe. He wrapped a bandage around it. And then he lifted his hands and said, you said, in your name Jesus and he began to declare the word he mowed the lawn and by the time he got in the house unwrapped the bandage for my great grandmother to look at E.L. Whitley had his toe completely connected with no scar to show come on somebody now that's the kind of faith these people lived that's what you and I are to look like oh well that was a cultural thing that kind of love that kind of unconditional giving, that kind of you bringing your stuff, me bringing my stuff and we blessing people, that's cultural. I mean, that's not where we are. You know what? That's what we do when we want to dismiss this thing. When we don't, come on somebody, when we don't want to grab hold that if God said the word said these things are possible, then these things must be possible. You see, we dismiss it because we don't want to get it. We don't want to grab it. But those that do, there are people, even in America, very much overseas right now, but even in America, sitting among those generals last weekend, so many of them talked about people in their church that are getting hungry for God as we've been in this series of several weeks, these Sundays, of talking about being hungry for a move of the Spirit. We sang about it this morning. Come Holy Spirit. There are people that are tying in by their faith and they're tying deep into the truth of God and their lives are going to look like this. I don't want to get to the end of the road and the Lord Jesus said, you know what? You don't look anything like I had intended you to look. My church doesn't look like anything. They've not died to their own self and believe that my power is greater. 
you see God in his kingdom to look like these people this morning in these next about 15 minutes maybe you'll find somebody that you look like this morning in this word maybe somebody you'll see that's where I am well we live in 2010 we live in a culture that's gone the highway to hell and busting it right into Satan's kingdom well you know what Jesus said upon this confession I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it if it was powerful enough 2,000 years ago I'm not going to live you be free to lock these doors I'm going down the street to where somebody believes in the word of God the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit that's in this world well we live in this sin wrecked world and all of this darkness the word said where sin does abound what grace does more abound that means that you and I in fact the Old Testament said that the prophets long to look in to this dispensation of grace that you and I are living in we are not even using it we've been taught about on Wednesday night these last nine weeks we've been provoked to live extraordinary with extraordinary faith and extraordinary grace we've been provoked and many of us in that awesome time if you're a leader and you've missed it you've missed speaking into our young converts you've missed holy moments and some people live out of town some people where I get all that I'm just saying it's been so awesome because it's been breaking bread with each other and speaking with each other and to watch as Wednesday night when one girl who just survived a t-bone truck Melinda in February was a walking dead person to watch her say to the whole class I'm I'm struggling in my faith and then to hear because at that moment the pastors just shut up and we just point toward the people and in that moment the church is the church and different leaders or just different men and women begin to answer Melinda and speak into Melinda what she can do to get up after the crash you see on Wednesday night I see what the church looks like on Sunday morning I see as we worship but do we daily live this life that he said can be ours look at your neighbor and say are you based on a true story do we look like this what's wrong with this picture what's wrong with this picture of where we are you see God doesn't did not give the American dream America came on a long time and America will disappear I know that kills you but you see, God didn't give the American dream that through our abilities, now scripture points to hard work, scripture points to ingenuity, scripture points to being happy, scripture points to all those things that lie in the context of the American dream. But the difference is God, listen to me, often puts his people in a situation where they cannot do anything to get out of the situation. Come on, can I get away from somebody that's been there and does it? Why? because the scripture says over and over and I don't have time to read it that he might make much of his name it's his name and his glory young people you can't just marry who you lust for you're gonna lust for someone that's not supposed to be your spouse you're gonna desire physically did you pastor Rondo I ain't talking about me you're gonna desire someone physically that's not supposed to be your wife you, someone is going to look good to you that's not supposed to be your husband. Because who God preordains for you to marry is the person that with them you will give God glory. 
And you know what? I'm meddling now. But since I'm already in the vampire's blood, I might as well go ahead and swim in it. And you can tease with that. And you can play with that because you don't want to shut down your own desires. But the bottom line is you're postponing the inevitable. The inevitable is that you walk away and walk toward what God has to you. Or the other option is that the enemy would rape you. For the women, for the men, I don't know how to say it to you, but to women that just, we understand that. He would rape you of your God-ordained future. Because he will. He will make something look good. The lust of eyes. I sat with a Christian counselor, one of the best. You'll, you'll see him on the table talk. He's come up with this thing called pratology. Now, I'm not going to try to speak it, Pastor Hank will, because he's a genius. He remembers everything. Boy, when he gets that message, I'm, it was just powerful. Johnny said, Rhonda, 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 listen, this is such a revelation. But how everything comes from pratology. And the lust of the eye is so powerful. And the lust of the flesh is so powerful. And often we look at things that we want and we think somehow they will glorify God. I'm going to tell you the moment that you and I, all of us adults and young people realize we were born to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring God glory. We weren't born to be the most cultured people. We weren't born to be the most educated, though culture and education will cause us to bring God glory. We were called to bring Christ's glory. And God will often put us in a situation, think of Joshua and Seth, if you'll come play behind me, this lets them know that I'm coming to the end. Think of Joshua when he comes up against the Jericho. Think about this. He comes up and there is nowhere to get around it, these massive walls. And God appears at his side. Listen. God said everything in our life is to bring him glory, that we are to look like these people, these people who believed God and who worshiped. And you just hear God coming to Joshua and Joshua saying, what's the plan? What's the battle plan? And you know the battle plan. The battle plan was, well, this is it. For four to six days, you're gonna walk around that wall, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in the front. And on the seventh day, march seven times with priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the sound, have the people, I mean, just think about it. If I propose this to you, we're going to give a shout and then the wall is going to collapse and the people are going to go straight in. I assume that Joshua wanted to say, is there a second opinion? Does anybody else have a plan? You know, I find in my life that that surrender, that submitting to God, that doing it God's way instead of my way, always brings a victory because I want to think I'm cute enough, I'm smart enough, that I'm well learned enough, that I usually know the right thing to do enough. Oh yeah, that's a guile's thing. That's prideology. We've usually got a better way we think you could have said that. You ought to see us at a family meeting. We have to tape our mouths shut and give each other medicine. But we, it's just, but what was God doing? He was divinely orchestrating this thing so that He alone would get glory. Church, the harvest, I believe, I've got a few things more to say, but I believe God is divinely orchestrating this church so that he can get the glory. I believe some people that we care about this morning, some people that are teetering on the line, that are caught up in all kinds of things. When I asked God, it's funny, I, that, that live that came forth through that anointing, that dry bones, that was nowhere. But the Spirit of the Lord began to prompt me because that's such a powerful passage because at the end of Joshua and Joshua 6, when the walls fell, you don't hear anybody say, oh, Nimrod, how you played that trumpet. Oh, Joshua, how you walked and you did not talk. Oh, you great people. No, you see, when God comes in, when he healed my marriage, when he raised my daughter from the dead, you don't hear anything 
but only God only God could have done this God is positioning this church God is positioning our finances on this hot Sunday morning in the summer this would be a better message in the fall when everybody's here and it's cool but you know what it came today so I'm going to go with it you see God is positioning us God is positioning us where we would have to say only God you see it wasn't our worship it wasn't her preaching it wasn't the women's ministry it wasn't queen for a day no when we would say only God could have done that you see that's the glory that God wants to get because it said he daily added to the church the Lord did because he did it that he would get the glory if you're a candidate for that give him a shout of praise in this house come on Somebody just give him a shout of praise. Only God could have done that. Only God. You can be seated just for a moment. Only God. Young people, we got to look like this church in Acts. Brothers and sisters, we've got to look like them. We've we've admitted, we've admitted on Wednesday night as elders, we've admitted that this teaching from John Bevere has provoked us has convicted us, has brought us in. It's reminded us it's nothing we've not heard before, but a different flavor. And it has provoked us that we have lived like slaves. We have lived like slaves. John Devere even used the illustration of you being, you're a, you're a royal son or daughter of a king. You're a true king's heir. And someone kidnaps you as a child and they take you away. And for years, they make you their slave. And this just came to me, so I thank you, Holy Spirit. For years, they treat you as their slave. For years, they tell you that you're their slave. And for years, you live like a slave. And then one day, you get freed. One day, they come in, and the big, the big guns of the military come in. They pull you out. They bring you back to the royal palace where you were supposed to have been raised. But the problem is, is the slave mentality is still in you, that you're down here that you can't ask God for this, that you can't believe for the greatest, that because of some inadequacy or something in your life that you can't believe for what God has. That's why God's people settle and don't look like this. But you see, Jesus came to knock the slave mentality out of you and I. We're not the weak and crumbled, weak belly, feeble knee, living below the dirt kind of church that's just going to crawl out hoping that Bill O'Reilly and I mean some of us listen to Glenn Beck more than we read the word I'm just saying and you know we just hoping that Glenn Beck and hopefully that Bill O'Reilly hopefully that Sarah Palin will, will just think about us every day and see how strong we are you see we're not the weak church we're not the conservative Republican uh, denomination we're not that we are those redeemed by a mercy Savior who turned our life around. We are the blood bought. We are the church. We've got to look at these people. God takes the least gifted people and the least talented people. Think about it and puts his spirit in there. Gideon. A lot of you know these, but just remind yourself in their weakness, they were made strong. Deborah. Every time it was armies so great 
that came around Israel, the widow with the last one, Nehemiah. I mean, I just go through the whole word. I mean, I just, you sing about this late last night. There'd be too many. And I knew my time would be short this morning. I didn't know because of the air, but I knew it'd be short. And the Galileans who were in an upper room and left, left without their Messiah, left without their Savior. And I think so many times what's so powerful is we forget that God's Word said, when you go into battle, He told Israel in Deuteronomy, and you see people too numerous. That means when you go into life and you see odds and insurmountable challenges and you see your own weaknesses and things are too great and you want to settle for less and you want to accept some substitute for the will of God in your life and you want to accept some slave mentality and some low-level living that God never intended you to live. When you see all that, He says, don't be afraid of the many horses and chariots Don't be afraid of the resources, is what he's saying, of the economy. Don't be afraid that Greenspan said America is heading straight toward bankruptcy. Don't be afraid of any of these things. Listen, I was sitting with a bunch of prophecy preachers last week, and I finally said, "Woohoo! just a minute. I love all your information, but you need to tell us something we can do. Because you just sound like a bunch of doomsday split hell open. We got no hope. We got nothing. If we live like that, we'll go down the tube. We are the church that belongs to the El Shaddai, the Jehovah Rapha, the Jehovah Shalom, the Jehovah Shira, the Jehovah Sinkanu, the Jehovah Makedesh, the Jehovah, the Lord is my banner. Somebody give him praise. The Lord said, remember, it's God who goes with you to fight with you. Remember, it's the Lord who goes with you. Ezekiel 36 says, But for my sake, says the Lord, the nations will know I am God, declares the Lord. He says this to Israel when she had profaned his name, when she had turned so many ways against his will. He says, it's okay. My word is going to be true because I'll show myself holy through your life before the world. Even though you've profaned me, even though you have failed me. Who do you look like this morning? Do you look like those who subdued kingdoms and work righteous? Or would you say your life is based on a true story? I mean, when you go into this week, into the workplace, is your life just based on a true story? Or are you the story? Is my life just based on a true story? Or am I the story? Am I the ones who believe Are you part of those who worked righteousness and shut the mouth of lions? That means the roar against others who walked through fire, who received their dead back to life. Who do you look like this morning? Where is your faith? Where is the faith of this church? It says that when Jesus went to go to heaven, that he drew his disciples out in Luke 24, and I'm done. I'm going to share a story. I'm done. He drew them out to a hill. And he said to them, he blessed them. He's blessing them. And while he's blessing them, he departs. Don't you love it? I bless you. And then he's going up. And here's these men, these Galileans who were the least with little resources. Here they are. Their life was going to be a true story. I mean, this is the man, the reason they lived. He was the center of their existence. 
He had lived with him for three years and he's gone. And the Bible says, and they worshiped him and they returned with great joy. I'm going to ask you in this closing moment before I pray with you, I'm going to ask Cindy Hill to come. I want you to do that song, Take This Old World But Give Me Jesus. I heard, is that the one you got the great rendition of? One of my favorites. But listen, before we do that and we have a moment to reflect on the word, what do you look like? I ministered to a woman many years ago. I gave, called her out in a service and gave her a word at Daystar. Didn't know that she was the personal assistant to Rodney and Adonica Brown, Howard Brown. Rodney Howard Brown is known for the great revivals. He came from Australia as a missionary to, to America. He's been known for many, many years of having many long meetings where people can't stop laughing and the joy just feels. I've never been in one of his services. Joni said, Rhonda, I'm flying you out because I'm telling you, if there's one person I want to see in the midst of a move of God like that, it is you and I'm going to take pictures of you. And I said, I will not disappoint you. But Rodney Howard and Adonica Brown, two mighty ministers, I heard their story this week, a part of their story I'd never heard before. They had a daughter born with cystic fibrosis, Kelly. They had several children, or two, I think at least. And Kelly, all of her years, they said she'll not live. She'll not live. She lived past four, but they had to continually get her to surgeons and to specialists. They'd continue to take her, and Rodney Howard, they had a special relationship, dad and daughter, because they were both tough, tough, strong-willed people. And he could talk sense into her when nobody could. And he'd say to her, Kelly, you got to give God the glory with your life. And life went on. And when she got near 18, going in and out of hospitals, and they'd been having moves of God everywhere. They had had everyone lay hands on little Kelly. They'd taken her to the best and the greatest faith evangelists. And they themselves every day proclaimed healing. But the thing they proclaimed above that was that Kelly's life would glorify God. When she got almost 18 in 2002, she got very critically ill. They went to the hospital, and days went on to days. It's an amazing story. And on the last day, she began to breathe very heavily. She could barely gasp her breath. She was sitting on her knees watching the monitors, watching her own vital signs. And her daddy came in, her mom had been with her, and her daddy said, Adonica, go sleep. This is my watch. I'll take care of our baby. And he got on his knees in front of Kelly on the bed. He said, the Spirit of the Lord said, get in the bed with her. And little Kelly's eyes couldn't come off the vital signs. And the breathing was getting labored. And she was gasping. And the doctors and the nurses came in. And they looked at Rodney. And he said, he put his arms around her because she didn't want to be resuscitated. She said, above no reason, no reason, Daddy. Don't let them do that to me. Her breathing's getting so low and so shallow. And she said, Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do? He said, Kelly, I'm going to believe that Jesus is going to heal you. But if he doesn't, but she said, Daddy, what if he doesn't? He said, Kelly, then you're going to cross over from this world into another. Get your new lung from Jesus and come back to us. He said, Kelly, once you've crossed over, I'm gonna be calling on you to come back to this life. But Kelly, listen to daddy, look at daddy. Kelly, when you go, you're not gonna to wanna to come back. When you see Jesus and you get in that atmosphere, 
and your body doesn't hurt anymore and you're healthy. Kelly, you're going to hear me calling you. But Kelly, you're not going to come back. You won't come back to me. She said, Daddy, Daddy, I'll try. I'll try to come back to you. Her breathing got so labored, he knew it was coming close. And the Holy Spirit said, Rodney, sing. So he began to sing her favorite song, Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, nothing I desire compares with you. All of a sudden, her breathing got shallow and her little head rested over on his shoulders and she was gone. Immediately, he began to speak back to her to call her back from the heavens. Adonica came in and they sat in the room because they knew she, her spirit was in the room and they knew that that baby had to hear them calling her back from the heavens. These two great people of faith that have had miracles and signs of wonders began to call her back and say, Jesus, please give her the lung and pass her back to us, Lord Jesus. The day went on, the next day went on, and on Tuesday they had it settled that for eight hours they would speak over her life. For eight hours they would worship over her body. And if by four o'clock she didn't come back, then they would accept it that Kelly could not return to them. So for those hours they worshiped, for those hours they prayed. Unbeknownst to them on the other side of the world, a man of God very close to them, not knowing what was going on, was fell into a prayer trance and was fell asleep. And in his vision, he saw Kelly. He went to heaven and he walked up to Kelly and said, you had to know her, she's a strong cup of coffee. She said, you're not supposed to be here. And he said, Kelly, I've come for you. I've come for you. She said, I'm not going. He said, Kelly, I've come for you. He said, all of a sudden, a strong angel came and talked with Kelly. He couldn't hear what they said. And then the angel went back to the throne. And then the angel came back. And Kelly said, I'm not coming. And go back into that stinking body. You got to be crazy. Bye-bye. And he woke up from his dream. He presented this word to Rodney and Adonica. After that day, when at four o'clock, the peace of God settled the room and heaven let them know she's on the other side. Why are you telling us this story, Pastor Rhonda? Because what you just saw is a story that is true. A story of those who then began to worship. And what Rodney Howard Brown said, and I couldn't get away from this, to say this in my message. He said to God that afternoon, God, I've just put on the altar. I believe he said this when she was still in her arms. I've just put in the altar the thing that was most sacred to me. Like Abraham, I've laid the thing that my heart loved the most and I've given it back to you. I know you are a good God and the devil is a bad devil. I know that this disease was not from you, but I'm going to tell you, God, I've just laid on the altar everything that's dear and precious before your throne. But he said, Lord, I'm worshiping you today because I am your 
your church and upon this confession the gates of hell will not prevail but I'm telling you something God the bad devil he's going to pay immensely for this for one million souls will be committed unto the kingdom because Rodney Howard go ahead and give God praise He said, if you came into my meetings before 2002, he said, you always sensed one hand of mine was in eternity. You could sense eternity in the room. He said, but now, if you come to my meetings, and he was just with our dear friends, the Hankins in Dallas, he said, half of my body was in eternity. And he said, I tell Kelly all the time, thank you for coming to me. Thank you for reminding me of eternity. Thank you for reminding me of that which is holy and precious. I'm telling you, church, we don't have to lose a child. We don't have to lose a spouse. But what we do have to do is to look like these people who put their desires and their wants on the altar of the almighty God and let half of their spirit be caught up in eternity that we can look like the church that all you're not worth it like someone said I'm just I don't know who I'm saying it to if you got dry bones if you've been wanting to awaken the mighty man or woman inside of you get out and get into these altars stand kneel whatever you need to do come on come on come on don't let anger between your spouse don't let frustration 
Whatever you need God to speak. What do you mean, Pastor Ron? You got something you need God to speak life into. Open. Come on. Now listen. This whole place, I'm not fixing to dismiss. So you don't need to watch me. I'm sorry. I'm not playing church. 